Hello, this is Alex Granados, reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Superintendent Mark Johnson. Mark, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me again. Good to uh, see you. Good to see you too. So we are recording this on Thursday, March the 9th. Is That's that correct? correct. And so you just came from a press conference where uh, Senator Tillman uh, had some exciting news. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, well, the exciting news is that we're going to be using uh, lottery money uh, to create a uh, bonus program for principals. It starts off with uh, just a much-needed pay raise for principals, but then it also accelerates into uh, making sure that we're uh, adequately compensating and enticing principals to go into some of our hardest-to-teach circumstances, hardest-to-lead schools. And there's another aspect of the bill that concerns um, facilities for, That's right. for local schools. Tell and, me a little bit then, about then that. And then a separate part of it is we will actually be uh, creating a fund of uh, hopefully $75 million where we will be able to go in and help uh, replace some of the schools that are in most need of replacing. And uh, last time you interviewed me, I was a Forsyth County board member. And in Forsyth County, we were working on a bond referendum. Uh, we were very fortunate in Forsyth County to have the ability to pass the bond referendum and a bond referendum that was a of uh, substantial quantity. Not every county is so fortunate, and that does not mean that they should not have schools that are up to 21st century standards. And so that's uh, something that this program will be aiming to, to address. Uh, so let me ask you, related to that, um, there are class size restrictions in mm-hmm. grades K through 3 that are slated to go into effect next year. I recently wrote an article in partnership with uh, Kelly Hinchcliffe from WREL mm-hmm. looking at some of the facility needs that local districts were going to have related to that. They might have to build on to existing schools or bring in mobile trailers or things like that. Will this help with, with that in any way? Because the state ordinarily doesn't give money other than a small portion of lottery money two localities for facilities? Uh, You know, unfortunately not specifically because this is more of the long-term picture. Um, But in the long term, the answer would be yes. Uh, We would actually be able to replace schools that are approaching the age of 100. And there are literally schools out there that are almost 100 years old. Um, You know, class size is an issue, but what's also an issue is, you know, cold air coming in in the winter, roofs leaking. Um, These are just not places where it is... uh, it is uh, enjoyable to learn, and learning should be enjoyable, and teaching should be enjoyable, and you know that's that's other things that we're working on. But part of that is the environment. So while we're on the subject, let me ask you about the class size restrictions. Mm-hmm. There's a bill, House Bill 13, that made its way through the House that would loosen those restrictions. Um, it's not on any calendars in the Senate yet, so we don't know what's going to happen with it. But um, what do you think of the class size restrictions of House Bill 13? What do you think should be done? Uh, You know, I'm actually diving into those details with the information I have in this department. Um, I very much support superintendents, and they know that, and I want them to feel like they can come to me and talk to me about the issues, and many of them have, and uh, I'm building those relationships with many more. Uh, We obviously also need PE in the arts. Um, Class size is something that we can help to improve teachers' lives by giving them less of a burden. And if we can do that by lowering the class size, that's a good thing. We need to, in this department, really dive down into what is the school finance, uh, almost a shell game, uh, moving money around and not being able to know where it is when. 
And that is, a, that is one of my priorities in this office, is to bring transparency to school funding. Right now, what we're doing is we're all arguing over what the facts are. Uh, what, what are the facts? Where's the money going? Is it going to reduce class sizes? Is it going to something else? And no one can agree with what the facts are. We need to bring transparency to school finance because when we can agree what the facts are, then we can have the policy discussions. Then we can talk about what's the right number of students to have in a classroom. Then we can talk about how much money should go directly to funding arts and PE. And uh, that's, that's something I hope to work more on over the, over the summer. Um, but right now we're, we're digging into what we can do in this department to bring more transparency to those figures. I know some legislators have voiced the opinion that uh, districts are misusing those funds. Do you think districts are misusing state I wouldn't, funds? I would not say misusing. I mean, again, you, you, you met me on the campaign trail. I'm, I'm very much about supporting good local leaders. Um, you know, one example, is, one example is the textbook money. You know, textbook money uh, might not always go to textbooks. You know, what, what happens when you have to fix a leaky roof? Um, these are things where we just need more transparency in school finance, and then we can have superintendents tell us what they need the money for, and we can actually then talk about the policies that will support superintendents in those, in those uh, demands. Okay. And um, speaking of superintendents, you, you're, you, you started this role in January. Um, what do you think, as an incoming superintendent, of public instruction should be your role in relation to local district superintendents? I need to be the person here in Raleigh who supports them. I need to be their person in Raleigh that they can feel that they can reach out to, uh, if, if not me personally, someone in this office, one key point person at the Department of Public Instruction that they can reach out to whenever they have a question. Their question will be answered quickly and their question will be answered the same answer that any superintendent that would call this building would get. Um, th that's the biggest area of support I can give them right now. And then taking in all their feedback, being their person in Raleigh who works for them, not the person in Raleigh who tells them what to do. And I'm, I'm working very hard on building that culture with the superintendents. Uh, but I'm, I'm also working hard on getting that message out to everyone in the local school districts and people across the state. There are a lot of hardworking people here in this building in Department of Public Instruction, and they really just want to make sure that they are doing their job day in, day out to support local districts and schools because that is the ultimate goal um, to support the, the learning and the teaching that's going on in the classrooms. So we want, as a, as a department, to be viewed as the people who support our districts out across the state, and we are their people in Raleigh, not the people from Raleigh telling them what they have to do. So I, I know that many superintendents across the state are concerned about calendar flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, there have been, I'm, I'm not sure how many bills, but there have been a ton of bills that have been filed that would grant uh, calendar flexibility for when schools can uh, basically start and stop the school year. Um, in the past, those really haven't gone anywhere in the General Assembly. Do you think that local districts should have calendar flexibility? Yes. I have, I have already uh, put on paper my support that I believe the calendar should be up to the local school board uh, with, of course, the advice of the local superintendent. Uh, this is for a number of reasons. One, the local school board is the elected body that is 
closest to the voters in that district. So the very first check and balance, if the local school board's doing something that the district doesn't like, those local school board members are going to hear about it, and they can more readily either change what they're doing or they can more easily be voted out of office for doing something they should not have done or something that they feel was right but their constituents disagree with. Now, the second reason I'm for it is we are just a very diverse state. I mean, you, you do not have the same needs in, uh, in counties along the coast that you have in counties in the mountains. And there are some things that we have to uh, keep standard from a state level. Um, I do not believe school calendar has to be one of those things. Uh, for example, uh, you know, snow days. Uh, snow days were a big problem a few years ago in Winston-Salem. And we had snow days that were falling right in the middle of exams because exams had to be in January. Uh, that wreaked havoc because we all know, you know what, what's going on with testing and how important those testing days are. Uh, that wreaked havoc when you had some instances where you would have to reschedule tests, but you also had very important instructional days leading up to the test that were canceled, and then you still had to have the tests. Um, calendar flexibility would allow for a local school board to say, you know, we think it's best if, if school tests are given at the end of December, and then students take the test and they go home and then they start a new class in January. Uh, that's the way it was for years. Uh, other school districts might disagree and like the way it is. Uh, but another thing is, I and we'll probably talk about this more, uh, one of my big priorities is really connecting the K through 12 uh, policymakers with the community college and university policymakers so that we can very uh, authentically and seamlessly create a connection between K-12 and workforce development. And one thing that's working is uh, the connection that we already have with some community colleges and K-12 and K-12 local school districts. Uh, they would like the flexibility to have the community college schedule match the K-12 schedule, which is the exams before you go away for winter break. Okay. And um, so you've been embarking on a listening tour. You've mm -hmm. visited various districts, and, and I know that when you started, you said that this listening tour was going to be part of what helped you make up what you wanted to be your agenda as mm -hmm. superintendent. Are you getting a better sense of what you want that agenda to be? Absolutely. And it will always, uh, you know, the... It, it may not be something that I just slap on a piece of paper and put out there, but the best way to find out what's working and what's not is to go out into the field and ask what's working and what's not. And I have seen some amazing things out in the field. I went to Glen High School in Forsyth County, and teachers told me, they said, the reason we were able to raise our school performance grade in one year is because teachers here are a community. And we, without prompting, if there's a new teacher, we take them in and we mentor them. Also, every teacher keeps every student at every classroom uh, up to high expectations. So no matter what classroom you go in in Glen High School, there are high expectations, and students rise to that occasion. I heard that same thing unprompted when I went to Brooks Global Elementary in Guilford County. And it was the, we hold our students to high standards, and when we do that, they reach them. And then I had the, uh, the honor and privilege of going back to West Charlotte High School. And 
uh, walking into my old classroom for the first time uh, in, in, in over 10 years and seeing what they've done at West Charlotte with the partnership of Project Lift, this, this opportunity culture that they've created where they have been able to recruit uh, some of the top talent to come in and really think out of the box, innovative strategies on how they can help some of the students who have the most needs and the, the biggest challenges in all of North Carolina. And when I was teaching at West Charlotte High School, the graduation rate was 50%. Just one out of two kids were graduating. Through their hard work, they have raised that graduation rate to almost 90%. At the same time, they're monitoring diploma integrity. So they're making sure that diploma means something too. And they have done that, uh, again, unprompted. Every teacher in every classroom, they tell me, is keeping students to high standards and high expectations. And their students are rising to that occasion. So how does that translate into an agenda? Like, Do you, do you have examples of, of what's on your agenda that has come out of some of these stops? Yes. Would you be willing to share some of them <laughs> with me now? <laughs> I'm sure you'll write an article about it. It's coming out today at 2 o'clock. Ah, okay. So that's the big announcement this afternoon. Well, there's, uh, you know, there's a big announcement this afternoon, and I'm, uh, so we got you on the schedule for this, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and you know how things work. And today, uh, today, right before we're doing this, we're going to have a big, big announcement. Uh, but, but uh, you, I'm, I'm, I know y'all will be looking at that. And, and yes, it, it is, it is about how do we recruit and retain teachers? Uh, where are we with the teacher pipeline? Um, and, and how do we best use uh, resources to attract teachers to uh, some of our hardest-to-teach uh, situations, um, and, and what can we do to support them when they're there? I'm, I'm curious what you think, you as the superintendent and in conjunction with the state board, what can you all do to help support uh, quality teachers, to help support um, you know, a stronger teacher pipeline? I don't know what the state board's doing, um, so I'm, you know, I'm not in conjunction with the state board. I, I am the office of the state superintendent, and I, as state superintendent, have actually already uh, been in talks with the UNC system and the independent colleges. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've had some great talks with uh, President Spellings, um, and the independent colleges have an association that I, that I work closely with, and we, we know that this is an issue for North Carolina. And we are committed to working more closely together uh, to, to, to make a, a seamless transition between K-12 and post-secondary because it really is twofold. They're very concerned about K-12, as they should be, because we need to be providing st the students the, the opportunity to be prepared to go off to the university system. They're, when you have a diploma from a high school in North Carolina, you should not need remedial math or English when you get to a college in North Carolina. Uh, that, that's, that's on our end, and they, they want to help us with that. On their end, they are the ones who are training the majority of our teacher force. Uh, so we need to work with them to make sure that when they send us teachers uh, and, and send us more teachers, uh, that those teachers are prepared to, to enter the classroom. Uh, but we also, you know, part of the teacher pipeline, uh, we all have to work together to entice uh, talent that might be pulled another way in the free market 
uh, back into the teaching profession. And that, that's a number of things. That's, that's the training. That's how you get into the classroom. That's the pay when you're in the classroom. Um, and that's also, you know, lessening some of the burdens that we put on teachers. Um, it's, it's, become, it's become, unfortunately, a job where I hear too often uh, teachers or parents say to students, don't go be a teacher. Um, and if, if, if you have that coming, uh, and, that's, and that's what people think of the teaching profession, uh, then we have, we, we have a problem that we all have to work together to address. And, and I look forward to doing that with them. Um, teaching is a, one of the most noble professions. It's one of the most difficult professions, uh, but we can take steps to make it one to where it is, it is, is back to the point where people can really enjoy everything about it. I think you've kind of given some examples of, of what I'm about to ask, but, um, you know, right now there's litigation over, uh, you know, who in the state is going to have the power, whether it's going to be the state board that has certain powers or whether it's going to be you that has certain powers. And until that gets resolved, those powers stay with the state board. So in the meantime, what is it that you can do as superintendent to, you know, push forward your agenda to move the needle on education? Well, in the meantime, uh, we are working uh, very closely together with the people in this department. Um, you know, a lot of people in this department, as I said earlier, there are hundreds of people in this department that just come in, they have a job to do, and, and they get it done. Uh, once, once you get directly below the superintendent, there's, a, there's just a level of top deputies, top leadership that are at-will employees hired at the will of the State Board of Education. All those people are the same people that were here under June Atkinson. That was odd at first, um, but we have gotten to know each other. We have worked really well together, and they are looking forward to working with my vision for public education and pushing and pushing that vision forward. Uh, so that has been uh, extraordinary on on a, on their part, and uh, we've been working we've been working very hard together, and. You know, some of the things are just uh, parts of vision that, that we can agree on. Uh, you know, technology, for example. And I'm a huge proponent of technology in the classroom being a tool for teachers, not, not something that replaces a teacher, but something that helps a teacher. Uh, I talked earlier about lessening burdens on teacher. I think technology, after we give teachers the proper training, can lessen those burdens of you don't have to take quizzes home at night to grade them because we can, do, we can use the technology for that. Let the quiz be on the, 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 the device and let the tabulation of the grade just go straight to the teacher's computer. Um, and then, so I'm getting off on a tangent of technology, how great it is, but I often do that. Then the lesson planning, all the materials can be there as a resource, but also you have uh, more engaging uh, options for students who might want to excel. You have uh, more options for students who might be falling behind that, that need extra help. Uh, those are things that uh, the top deputies in this department are full on board with, and we're actually we're, we're making strides towards that now. And I, I, I appreciate all uh, all they have done to help me uh, assimilate into this role, and and all the work they have done with me. So as I mentioned, you're in this litigation with the state board, and I'm curious if you think there are things that the state board is not doing to promote your vision or your agenda that necessitate you having the powers that they have now? Well, they're certainly not here every day. 
state board. Uh, you know, some of them will come in once a week. Uh, most of them are just here once a month. I'm here every day. I ran statewide and I shared with constituents my vision and I heard their concerns and I'm accountable to the voters for that. Um, they sent me here to do a job and I'm here every day when I'm not here, I'm actually in classrooms or I'll have conferences coming up this later this month where we'll be talking about ESSA and where, we'll be, where I'll be, I'm actually going up to Washington DC to, to try to get more support for North Carolina. I'm here every day and they're not. Do you, but in, in the meantime, while they have the power and, and you kind of are, are still seeking it, do you feel like they are supporting you? We're working, we're working together. Um, you know, they, they have their agenda and I have mine. Um, and most of, most of the things on our agendas correlate. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say they're, you know, standing behind me every day while I'm working saying we support you. Um, but you know, they, they're willing to give me a nice pat on the back and say, okay, good job. <laughs> and so you've been in this role since January. Mm -hmm. um, it is, like I said, March 9th now. Uh, what have you learned in that time? Boy, <laughs> there, there are a lot of people in this department who are working really hard. Um, this department needs some organization changes. And it does not mean going in and firing everyone this department is working in silos. Um, you, you will have people in this department tell you that this department is working in silos, and that is not the way to innovate. Uh, we need to uh, rethink the organizational structure. I think right now I have 22 people reporting directly to me. Uh, that, that, is, that is not a healthy organization chart. Um, there, there needs to be uh, more leadership at the top that can uh, share in my vision and push that vision out. And meanwhile, uh, as you go down the org chart, people need to feel that they are more connected with the rest of the department. And that if someone's working on something on a different floor, they, they need to know about that if they're working on something that's similar so that, so that we can all tie that together. And, and there are people, most people in this department want that. And one thing that I've been doing to encourage that is at least once a week, I have coffee or lunch with 10 to 15 people who work at DPI. We just, we just get together and we have coffee or lunch. And it's gonna take me all year to get through everyone who works here, but I just want to get to know them on more of an authentic level. So we just, we just, we talk about who we are, what we do, how we ended up here, and, and then just share some things about our life or our family. Um, it's been going really well. And one way that I decided to break up how I do those coffees and lunches, I actually said, let's divide the uh, DPI associates by birthday month. So if your birthday's in March, then when you have coffee with the superintendent or lunch with the superintendent, it will be in March in a small group. So what's happened is we've actually got people from different departments coming to the same lunch 
just because they share a birthday month who may have seen each other in the hallway or on the elevator they may have uh, they may they may recognize you from the parking lot but they don't know what you do they don't know what you do here in this building well now we're sharing that and we're actually building connections already uh, that way and so I hope that uh, as as the state board looks at the organization chart they they take that into consideration to to break down the silos that are holding people back in the Department of Public Instruction. Break down those silos, let people collaborate and innovate, and if we're all working in the same direction, uh, in, in, in the same group, we'll get a lot done. Well, Mark, thank you for talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. We've been talking with Mark Johnson, Superintendent of Public Instruction for North Carolina, and I'm Alex Granados, Reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. <laughs>